Honestly, I didn't know very much about mapping when I first started. Um, but I, I think the main thing that I've learned is that generally people are very, very helpful, particularly in this community where, uh, you know, where people have the values around open source and sharing. My advice to people would be network wherever you can, ask people for help. Generally, they will say yes. And even if they say no, then it's not the end of the world. So reach out to people, um, share your ideas, listen to other people. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Geospatially Africa podcast, the podcast for the African geospatial community. My name is Opoemi. Today's guest is a veteran international development expert, somebody that I really respect a lot. She has somehow found a way to introduce and apply GIS and geospatial technologies perfectly in the humanitarian context. And she's none other than Janet Chapman, the chair at Tanzania Development Trust, as well as the founder of Crowd to Map Tanzania. And in today's episode, we'll be learning from Janet how our journey has been in the humanitarian sector and how she has been able to optimally apply geospatial technologies to mapping rural communities in Tanzania and helping the fight against FGM. Thank you for joining us today, Janet. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Would you please introduce yourself? Let's know more about Janet, how you started, where you started from, and what actually pushed you into humanitarian development, especially internationally. Okay, thank you. So um, I live in London. Um, I was a teacher for a very long time. My first job actually was teaching in rural Sudan, which was an amazing experience but it really did um, highlight um, the poor rights of some women there, and particularly that they were subjected to female genital mutilation, FGM, uh, which really resonated with me then as a young woman. Um, and then since then, I, um, had, I have two daughters, and so watching them grow up in London and seeing that the freedoms that they um, have really um, reinforced to me that that's not the case for everywhere in the world. Um, I taught for a long time, mostly in London. Um, I set up a link with my school um, with one in Kenya, um, did a bit of work there. And then about 10 years ago, uh, I saw that Tanzania Development Trust, which is a volunteer-run charity, was looking for a communications manager. And given my interest in East Africa and in, particularly in women's rights and development, I decided to get involved with them. And I've been doing that ever since. Well, that's been a journey. The fact that you came from education and then you were able to apply you know, some of the things you were seeing outside of your locale, trying to help develop, at least to form some sort of equality in your own experience and you know that part of the world that's really commendable and i i really see how you were able to you know just think of others you know outside yourself and trying to see how 
their situation can be better. That's really commendable, Janet. Thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, um, please, could you tell us more about the Tanzania Development Trust? Currently, you are the chair at the CDT. Uh, could you tell us more about that, please? Yes, sure. So, um, Tanzania Development Trust, it's an entirely volunteer-run charity. Um, it was set up 46 years ago as the charitable arm of Britain Tanzania Society, which was started at the height of the Cold War um, to really try and improve relations between Britain and Tanzania. So um, our priorities are access to water, uh, which is a huge issue in many parts of rural Tanzania, um, girls' education, um, and small income generating projects to lift people out of extreme poverty. So we have a network of volunteers both in the UK and in Tanzania. Okay, and, and Crowd to Map, is it a child project of the Tanzania Development Trust or it's just your own pet? Okay, so I started Crowd to Map um, around six years ago because as I was um, starting to visit our projects in rural Tanzania, I quickly realized that the fact that they were not on any map was a huge problem. So you could look at Google, it would be completely blank, even though 10,000 people plus might live in that area. So um, specifically, one time I was looking for Ikondo School, which is in a remote area, and it was pouring with rain, so there was nobody around to ask. Um, and the person I was with didn't know where it was. We just drove around in circles for hours. We even drove through rivers. The school kept phoning me all the time saying, where are you? Why are you so late? And we said, we don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. It was a really terrible experience. I, I live in London. I'm used to having a map on my phone everywhere I go. And so, and I've always been interested in technology. Um, I taught ICT and computers um, in schools for a long time. So having no map seemed to me like a solvable problem. It seemed crazy in, you know, the 21st century. We, there are so many people in the world that are not on a map. So that, that's why I thought um, I wanted to do something about this in in Tanzania. That's really a cool story and I see a lot of parallels between this vision and you know the vision of the OpenStreetMap. Do you work in any way or does your work parallel the OpenStreetMap at all? Totally. Um, yes, so all, all of the mapping that we're doing is in OpenStreetMap. So Crowd2Map is an entirely volunteer-run project we have many, around 16,000 online volunteers mapping um, into OpenStreetMap using the humanitarian OpenStreetMap tasking manager, mostly. And then we also train many people on the ground in Tanzania who are mostly using mobile apps such as Maps.me and Osmand with their phone GPS to add um, points of interest related to where they are. I'm sure that has really done a lot to you know opening up these rural areas of tanzania to even further development even in terms of you know entrepreneurial development and even education and healthcare. so could you talk a bit about some of the achievements that this mapping has done maybe a few examples sure um so 
One of the initiatives that, that we're really proud of is the Digital Champions Scheme. So um, we, we set this up initially as part of a project with Humanitarian Open Street Map, and it's in um, initially in Serengeti district um, of Mara. So these we working with FGM activists like Roby Samwelly, we selected one woman from each of the 87 villages. And this was a woman who'd never used a smartphone before, never been online before. So um, these women, these digital champions were trained to map their village. Um, to, they were trained to use a smartphone, to train others in their communities, but also to help protect women from gender-based violence, which is a huge issue, and also to protect girls from female genital mutilation, which is also a huge issue. So th th this is a project that's um, started in January 2019. It's still going. Um, we've also managed to expand it into two other districts since then. And I think it shows huge potential on a very, very shoestring basis um, to really um, empower women right at the, you know, in the hard to reach rural areas that are the most difficult. And I'm sure that's the, you know, that's the whole idea behind humanitarian development, you know, trying to get the same level of technologies that we have in cities to these local areas and have them use it so that they also can develop, you know. And the fact that you even mentioned digital champions, I'm sure it's something that they can be proud of, the fact that they could take technologies that they were previously, you know, not familiar with and championing it in their rural areas to bring more development. You know, it's really something that, that's commendable. Absolutely. And, and we've also trained these digital champions and others to use apps um, such as Plant Nuru, which can be used to detect pests on cassava and maize, which are their main crops. And because they are subsistence farmers, Detect, being able to detect these and improve their agriculture can make a huge difference to their income. So this is also something that we want to expand more of. Um, that's another dimension to it. Thank you for doing that, uh, Janet. Okay, looking at these digital champions now, there are some people that you train to to be, you know, tech, technologically savvy, then take it back to their local areas to improve lives both in agriculture and also in healthcare, because this uh, example that you said about you know mapping um, pests and those things uh, you know those things are even applicable in some parts because i'm trying to just uh, i'm trying to find parallels around my own area you know there are a lot of pests and diseases that that you know, affect agriculture, and most of these farmers are subsistent. They don't have the technology, you know. So if, if these digital champions can work everywhere in the rural areas, then it will really mean a lot for, you know, food production. I totally agree that having access to a phone, you know, a connected phone, and access to simple apps like Plant Nuru and access to markets can really transform the life of subsistence farmers. I think there's a huge untapped potential. Um, and, I'd, and certainly in rural Tanzania, um, particularly women, very few of them have access to smartphones yet. 
that's really a lot. It's opened my mind to a whole lot of possibilities, even outside Tanzania now, because, you know, there are subsistent farmers everywhere in Africa, at least, you know, and most of them don't have access to these things. Like you said, there's a whole untapped potential in that. And so how do you, um, how do you keep volunteers motivated? Because you, you mentioned that you have thousands of volunteers, and this project has been going on for a few years now. So how do you keep volunteers motivated? Okay, well, I mean, we have really two complete, very different sets of volunteers. So we have the remote volunteers um, and who are mapping using the tasking manager. And for them, we have a Slack channel and we have weekly report cards and we say who's done particularly well this week. Um, we set targets for the week about what percentage we want to have mapped in particular projects. We've created badges um, and quizzes. So if you get 100% on the quiz, you can get a badge. Uh, we also um, offer certificates when people have done a certain amount of mapping. And we try and have some progression pathways so that when people reach a certain place then and they're doing particularly well, we invite them to... Um, be a trainee um, validator. Um, we give feedback to mappers when they first start. So, you know, we really try and encourage um, mappers on that journey. And we also do regular um, surveys with them to see, see what they want to, um, what they'd like to improve about the project and to listen to their feedback and so on. Um, we also try and celebrate them on social media by having mappers of the month um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but in, in terms of the mappers on, on the field in Tanzania, um, we, that we try to offer regular training and opportunities. Um, for them, it's more using WhatsApp and also doing in-person training. And we try and always tailor that training to the particular issues that they that they're interested in so for example we've done training with red cross groups and they wanted to map um, places around artisanal mines where it's a particular problem with child labor and and gender-based violence so the the training was very much targeted on that other um, people wanted to do something around um, nutrition uh, so they wanted to map where um, got school gardens were and that sort of thing and others wanted to do do things um, around particular things such as land so we always try and target the training to exactly you know where where people are and what they want want to do we also try and work really closely with other groups particularly youth mappers so we've set up youth mappers in, I think, seven different universities in Tanzania now, and we try and do a lot of ongoing training with them uh, and other groups that are interested, such as um, different NGOs and Peace Corps. And we, we try to train them around mapping, but also around other data collection tools, such as ODK and Kobo. Kobo Connect. Yeah. All right. That's, that's right. Okay, so um, I've, in recent times, we know you carry out mapathons as well, you know, especially with the youth, youth mappers. And, and you did one recently in Dar es Salaam. Could you talk a bit about that? 
Okay, well, we've done lo lo lots of um, mapathons over the years. And I think the first one we did um, a very long time ago was in Dar es Salaam. Um, we also worked very closely with Romani Huria um, and Open Map for Development Tanzania, who, who are based in, in Dar es Salaam, who've done some fantastic work there. I mean, more recently, most of the mapathons that we've done have been online. Um, which has some benefits in that people can can participate from all over the world, but it's not quite the same uh, in some ways. Um, so yes, we like to have um, mapathons wherever possible, and in fact, we're planning one for early November um, for our sixth birthday. So I hope people will uh, join that. Well, we'll definitely share the link uh, if that's amenable. We'll share the link to that so that at least we can get. And even we would get involved, definitely. I definitely like mapathons. And coincidentally, I've only done mapathons while they've been virtual because uh, my journey into digital mapping started during COVID. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I've ever done any non-virtual mapathon. Uh, so I tend to enjoy it even more than, well, I don't have any experience with the in-person okay. one. So uh, that's just fine, that's fine, yeah. So also, I want to take it a bit more personal now. You said something earlier about uh, you you having children and that helped you to see uh, how you could improve the lives of rural women and girls in rural Tanzania. Are there other personal stories that you've had coming out of Tanzania in terms of the impact that you've seen in the faces of these people that you've been helping? You know, maybe a story or two about individuals that your project and your passion has really brought out and has really helped. Are there any stories you'd like to share? Thank you. Um, yes, I mean, I think one of the, the things around um, do, projects in Tanzania is really small amounts of money can make a huge difference. So one, one of the projects that we started very early on was around microfinance. And I asked one of the women, um, Petronella, who, who had benefited from a very small loan, what difference it had made. And she told me that when her baby had started excreting blood, she was able to buy medicine for it. So that shocked me rather that such a small amount of money had possibly saved her baby's life. Also, some of the um, FGM activists that we've worked with um, have told us what a difference having maps has made. So they've s said that, for example, one of them told me, um, because they always get phone calls in the middle of the night saying that girls are going to be cut at this village. Um, previously, often, because, there's no, because there were no maps, there's no road signs, there's no lights, it was impossible to find those girls in time and often they would get cut. And when girls um, are subjected to FGM, some of them will bleed to death and die. But they said now they have maps, it's much easier and quicker to find them even at night. So they estimate that they managed to save around over 3,000 girls from FGM and having better maps has greatly helped them. Wow, those stories are really touching. They are really, really outfelt. And I, I, I know that this is just a few out of the thousands of similar stories that there are because of your work with humanitarian development. 
And thank you so much, Janet. Lastly, I think we'll just try to talk about any new projects that might be coming on the way. I know you mentioned about the marathon to celebrate your sixth um, birthday, but what of other projects that you might want uh, our listeners to know more about so that they could also contribute any way they can? Okay, um, yes, well, we're always looking for people to get involved and help us. So please do um, check out our links on the, on the page. Um, New projects. We've we've recently started our first internship program, which we're really um, proud of, um, and we hope to replicate that at some point in the future. We're also just starting a project um, in collaboration with Map Uganda and Youth Mappers there, which is around um, water points. Uh, we're looking forward very much to um, participate in um, the state of the map. Africa Summit in November and also the Humanitarian Open Street Map Summit. Um, so we're very active members of those. Um, we're also doing a project now which is monitoring progress towards the SDGs on a village level, um, which we're really excited about. And we're looking forward to celebrating our sixth birthday next month. Awesome. And we can't wait to celebrate with you. Um, how can people get involved to become part of the community? You know, how can they join the Slack channel? Do they have to register or how do they go about it? Is it on the website or how? Yes. Um, well, they can contact me via my email, which will be on the notes. And also I, the link to the Slack channel is there. You can also connect with, with me on LinkedIn, or you can also uh, contact me via the crowd to map or Tanzania Development Trust websites. So if you're interested and you'd like to help in any way, please do get in touch. Awesome. So um, I also wanted to ask though, outside, okay, I know Tanzania Trust uh, is it's for Tanzania. Do you have any partnerships outside Tanzania and East Africa? even towards Western Africa? Do you have any projects or partnerships with people or with NGOs here? Okay, well, we're, we're very active members of OpenStreetMap Africa, which has um, organizations throughout um, Africa. Um, we're also very involved with Youth Mappers, which also has chapters um, around the world and in many uh, West African and other African countries. So we're, we're a member of Missing Maps, uh, which is involves people um, that work globally, such as Red Cross and Doctors Without Frontiers, MSF, etc. So um, we've all also um, worked a little bit with FGM organisations, particularly in Kenya, but we will be very happy to work with other um organizations anywhere particularly in rural areas that are not very well mapped um, similar to the ones that where we're working in Tanzania because really I think crowd to map it's um, a very simple idea and it can be replicated anywhere and we'd be very happy to help others who wanted to try and set something up in a similar way all right that's wonderful uh, lastly, 
what have you learned over the years in the course of your work with the rural areas and um, with women and children, women and girls? What would you say is a key lesson that you've learned during the course of this time? Oh, I've learned so much. I mean, honestly, I didn't know very much about mapping when I first started. Um, but I think the main thing that I've learned is that generally people are very, very helpful, particularly in this community where, uh, you know, where people have the values around open source and sharing. And uh, I mean, at the beginning, I asked a lot of very stupid questions, but I would my advice to people would be network wherever you can, ask people for help. Um, Generally, they will say yes, and even if they say no, then it's not the end of the world. So reach out to people, um, share your ideas, listen to other people. Those are very important words of wisdom. And I like the fact that you said <laughs> in this community, <laughs> in this community, uh, especially in the geospatial community, the mapping community, you know, it's, it's almost as if everybody wants to help everybody. Yeah. And and on just very few occasions will you get people that would actually tell you outright no. <laughs> a lot of people really want to help and especially they want to help the next initiative to help others. Thank you so, so much for joining us today, Janet. No, thank you. And that brings us to the new session for this episode. And in the new session today, we'll be talking about uh, the Landsat 9 launch that happened on September 27th. Uh, we'll also be talking about the Phosphor-G conference. we recently concluded Phosphor-G conference that we've been talking about for so long now. It happened between uh, 28th of September and uh, the 2nd of October 2021. And we had the opportunity of uh, attending a few of those sessions. So we'll be bringing you a few highlights from that conference. And lastly, we'll be talking about the second international drone show competition. So please stay tuned and you don't want to miss any part of the news. Firstly, um, we, we in the geospatial industry are quite familiar with the Landsat program of uh, it's a joint uh, venture between nasa and the u.s Ge geological society uh and the landsat is a program that was launched way back in 1972 and it's consistently been bringing us remotely sensed earth observation data right from 1972 and the launch of the first landsat satellites that's landsat one and in 2021, precisely September 27th, we had the pleasure of being introduced to the newly launched Landsat 9 satellite. And this is the latest in, the set, in a set of Earth observing satellites of the Landsat programs. Landsat 9 has a spatial resolution of 30 meter, which is quite high. And we all know that Landsat images and Landsat data are free, open and accessible to everybody. To get a sneak peek into uh, some of the features that the Landsat 9 satellite has, we'll be linking in the show notes some websites to visit to check a recap of the launch and the details of it, 
as well as some of the details that uh, the Lancet 9 has, some of its details, like, uh, for example, the if you would like to know more about some of the features that the Landsat 9 satellite has, we'll be linking in the show notes some websites, especially the USGS website, where you could go to to see some of the features. For example, the instruments aboard the Landsat 9, which are the OLI-2 and the TIRS-2, same as uh, Landsat 8 as well, as well as the spectral range that it will cover uh the swap size as well as the pixels everything in details will be on this website so we know the kinds of uh data to expect quite similar to landsat 8 as well but maybe a bit more advanced so uh we're quite looking forward to what landsat 9 has to offer and that will bring us now to the first 4g conference it was packed full of presentations and workshops and seminars and webinars and we'll just try to run us through a few of the highlights well my personal favorites and that will start from the first day the first day was monday and it had a whole lot of presentations in it i may not be able to cover all but i'm just going to highlight some of the ones that i found quite interesting just to give us an idea of how packed and informative the conference was monday and tuesday alone had 45 workshops and some of the workshops that happened on monday particularly that i would like to highlight here would include some titled a new way to publish qgis projects on the internet as a web mapping application sort of what you usually do on your ArcGIS account uh, to create web apps. Now you could do that on QGIS with Lizmap. Well, we already have a way to do that on QGIS with a plugin called QGIS to web. But now there's a new way to do that on QGIS using Lizmap. That was discussed during a workshop during the Phosphogy conference. Other workshops that happened on Monday would include getting started with GeoServer, Geospatial analysis using Python 101, integrating QGIS, remote sensing, ODK, and JOSM for urban planning, setting up a special data infrastructure with open source software using OSGO Live, also using LeafMap for geospatial analysis and data visualization, amongst others. And that was just some of the workshops that happened on monday also on monday afternoon there was a meeting of geochickers and women in geospatial plus well most of us already know that i belong to the women in geospatial plus network and during the first 4g conference they had a meeting well the meeting was sort of a, uh, was broken down into two sessions there was the there was a social meeting that happened on Monday and there was a panel discussion titled Career Stories of Women in Phosphogy. One of the keynote sessions which I particularly enjoyed was that of Anita Gracia. Now, Anita Gracia is a demigod in free and open source software for geospatial analysis 
and you know she's somebody that really fascinates me as well as being a woman Akino talk was titled open source for open spatial science where she spoke about our vision for the future of spatial data science in academia and industry related challenges and potential beyond the core community of geospatial experts and another keynote speaker that i was particularly impressed by would be uh, nisera wangiru kimani she's the founder of community mappers and that have done awesome work mapping informal settlements like kibera in nairobi kenya Amy and myself had the opportunity to speak on the same platform as Nisera during the ISDE 12 Youth Forum. That's the Youth Forum of the International Symposium on Digital Earth 2021 that happened back in July. And last but not least, in the new session today, drone enthusiasts gather here. This is the award for the second international drone show competition and is scheduled for september to december 2021 now according to the competition website the international drone show competition was established to create global awareness that the industry of drone shows can open up opportunities and to build a community of like-minded people passionate about drones and modern art. Now, there are six nominations and six winners, valuable prizes and unique gifts to be won, future cooperation and community support. Who can apply? Drone show providers can apply, as well as drone show tech teams, 3D animators, drone show vendors, event agencies and show organizers, drone show fans and enthusiasts now this drone show it's you know i feel it's a worthy news because you know in the geospatial industry these days drone industry and drone tech is becoming mainstream and it's becoming a new way to get aerial photography for less cost and without the need for advanced satellite imagery and stuff so a lot of things are going down the drone path in geospatial industry and getting geospatial data and spatial data has become even easier with the advent of drone technology and because of this it's becoming quite mainstream in the geospatial industry so a lot of geospatial analysts gis analysts are becoming drone experts and even like we said one of our previous guests sharon was also a drone expert and i feel it's the, it's, it's the next is the future of geospatial you know data acquisition so a lot of geospatial analysts and uh, students are becoming drone tech experts and this is a good way or it's a very great platform to showcase your work and get awards for it your drone work either videography or filmmaking as well as you know capturing large expanses of the land or whatever it is that you think you you are trying to portray and you think is worthy of this we strongly encourage that you apply for this 
competition and you know you never know what you could get you might win a prize or two so uh the link to the website how to apply and everything the details we need will be linked in the show notes so please catch that there and that brings us to the end of today's episode i hope you've had as amazing a time as i have bringing this episode to you if you did remember to subscribe on any platform you get your podcast from so you get notified every time a new episode drops once again we say a big thank you and we look forward to hearing from you so do shoot us an email at gspatially at gmail.com or a tweet at gspatiallyafrica we look forward to hearing from you bye